Amen. You may be seated. Well, Emmaus, good morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As you can see, the room is kind of thinning out. It's getting a little less crowded in here uh, because Emmaus kids at this time is dismissed to their classes. So if you're a parent who is new here to Emmaus and uh, you're interested in getting your child registered for class, you can follow that crowd and they will take you to the right place where you can get your kids registered and they can go to a class and they can learn uh, about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we declare and display this morning. Uh, if you are a guest and you're interested in connecting with us here at Emmaus, it's a good thing because we're also very interested in connecting with you. Uh, you can do that. Uh, there's a QR code on the screen or will be on the screen. There you go. It's under how to get connected. That QR code will take you to a place online where you can fill out a digital connect card. If you're like me and you don't like QR codes or digital things of that nature, there's a place out in the lobby where you can fill out a connect card. There's a connect desk out there and someone would be happy to help you uh, fill out that card today. So visit them on your way out and uh, get connected with us here at Emmaus. Also, if you're interested in giving, let's say you're not new, you've been here for a while, and you want to start giving financially to the ministries and mission of Emmaus Church, you can do that uh, by going to the other QR code, How to Give. That'll take you to EmmausKC.com slash give, where you can set up online giving. Uh, again, there's a place in the lobby, though. If you don't like online stuff, there's a place in the lobby, a black safe deposit box out there. Uh, where you can drop uh, cash or a check and uh, give to the church and the, the ministries that uh, we are about doing here at Emmaus. Um, I want to give you a quick update, really quick, uh, from the Emmaus Hospitality Team. Uh, the Emmaus Hospitality Team has been working on just a couple of things that I believe will be a blessing to this church and will serve you well as you come uh, to worship God with us on Sunday mornings. Uh, the first thing that they've been working on is they now have the sermon streaming uh, on that screen out in the lobby. So if you need to step out of the worship service for any reason, let's say you've got like a fussy baby or something like that. Um, I know how that is. I, I'm a parent as well. Um, if you need to step out for that reason, you don't have to miss any of the sermon. You get to continue to listen out in the lobby because uh, what's happening in here is streaming out there. Uh, the, second the second thing that the hospitality team has been working on, and I think uh, a lot of people will be really excited about this, though a few of you may not be uh, because you're not coffee people. Um, the, the hospitality team has been working on bringing coffee back on Sunday mornings. There you go. I knew it. I knew there would be some applause, some cheering, some rejoicing. So we'll all be good and caffeinated during church. Uh, I, I expect a lot of energy from you all uh, once that gets going. No, I'm kidding. I, I hope and pray that uh, having coffee here at Emmaus uh, increases the hospitality we show to those who walk in our doors also pray that it's a great way to facilitate uh, fellowship and connection uh, on Sunday mornings among our people. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you, hospitality team, and for, for all those who have been involved in those endeavors. That's a huge uh, blessing to us. Well, church, turn with me to Paul's epistle to the Philippians. The book of Philippians will be in chapter 4, 
And we'll be looking at verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. As you are well aware, last week was the first Sunday of Advent. And we began the Advent season by looking at one particular aspect of how Jesus Christ is our Prince of Peace. He's our Prince of Peace. Pastor Sean helped us to see how Christ came to give us peace with God. So because of Jesus, we now enjoy a new status before God. We can now ascend the hill of the Lord to dwell with him there. Because our status before him is now characterized by peace. We have once and for all been reconciled. With the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at one of the ways that our new status before God applies to our experience of the Christian life. And particularly, I want us to look at how it applies to our experience of the Christian life in an anxious age. And that's going to be the big idea for the sermon this morning. That Christ came to provide peace in anxious times. Christ came to provide peace in anxious times. Let's look at our text together. Again, it's Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 6. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I can still remember exactly how it felt the day that I experienced my first anxiety attack. We were right in the middle of getting ready to move here to Kansas City, which meant that half of our belongings, half of our earthly possessions had already been packed up in boxes, and those boxes were very rapidly proliferating and piling up all over our house. And we knew that looming ahead of us, just a few weeks away, there would be that marathon of tearful goodbyes that would end with us packing up our cars and heading north a few hours to start the new work that God had called us here to do at Emmaus. And so we were trying to brace ourselves for that. We were trying to brace ourselves for the emotional toll of all those goodbyes and of all the changes that were on the horizon for us. But even though I had tried my best to prepare for that, even though I had tried to be emotionally ready for it, it all eventually caught up with me. I simply could not outrun the impact of all the change that was happening around me, so I found myself on a Tuesday afternoon, in my office, 
and I was completely seized by anxiety. Completely seized. It was hard to breathe. My chest was tightening. My mind completely shut down and I couldn't think straight. It felt like I was completely paralyzed, like I was completely incapacitated, frozen by an avalanche of worry and fear that my whole world was falling apart. It was going to collapse and come crumbling down. You see, up until that moment, I had never considered myself to be a particularly anxious person. In fact, quite the opposite. I had prided myself on being the person who was stable and dependable for others. And yet here I was, completely falling apart, being crushed by the weight of anxiety. I was anything but stable that day. The last word that you would ever use to describe me in that moment is dependable. Instead, I was falling apart at the scene. And I wonder if there are any of us here today who can relate to what I'm describing. Maybe you're all too familiar with the crippling effects that anxiety can have. Perhaps you struggle on a daily basis to manage the chaos in your mind where your racing thoughts are constantly churning up new reasons to be worried and fearful. After all, we live in a fallen world. We woke up this morning in this present evil age and one of the the universal effects that is reverberating in every corner of this fallen world is anxiety. This present evil age is an anxious age. So we shouldn't be surprised to find that anxiety is pretty much just in the air we breathe. It's like like a toxin. That we go through life inhaling and and we don't even realize it. It's like the ambient noise that hums beneath the surface of our daily lives. Because of all this, many of us have come to terms with our anxiety. We've pretty much just accepted the fact that anxiety is the default context in which we're going to have to navigate the Christian life. And so we stop envisioning a future where things could be any different, where where things could be any better. Maybe you have stopped being optimistic that you will ever find peace. Maybe you have all but given up on having a still and quiet mind. Here's the thing, friends. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, if the gospel that gathers us today means anything, one of the things it must mean is that Jesus Christ has the answer, the solution, and the remedy to our problem of anxiety. And so what we need today is for the word of the gospel to cut through the chaos and the confusion and the clamoring noise of our lives to remind us of what it is that Jesus is offering to us. He is offering to us hope. He is offering to us healing. And he is offering to us wholeness. That's why he came. 
That's why he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It's so that he could give us the peace we long for, but have given up on. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to allow him to take us by the hand and to lead us out of the Egypt of our anxiety and to enter with him into the promised land of his perfect peace. He's going to do that by giving us two things from our text that can make all the difference in anxious times. Two things that can make all the difference in anxious times. The first thing he wants to give us is a prescription. And the second thing he wants to give us is a promise. So we're looking at a prescription and a promise. And this prescription and promise are distinctly related to each other in our text. So let's look at each of them. Starting with the prescription which comes in verse 6. Where Paul tells the Philippians both what to do and what not to do. There is a positive aspect of the command in this verse. And there is a negative aspect of the command in this verse. It's like Paul is telling them, stop doing A and start doing B. Just look at what he says. He says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Now what's so important for us to understand about this part of the prescription is that it does not stand on its own. It it does not exist In a vacuum. I mean just think of how unhelpful this advice would be by itself. It's like you're you're fretting about some real problem in your life. And someone comes along and kind of slaps you on the shoulder and says, hey, don't be anxious. You're like, wow, gee, thanks, mister. I never thought of that before. That's not what Paul is doing. That's not what he's doing at all. He's not offering us some trite solution. No, Paul understands human nature much better than that. He understands that on our own, we cannot always just sort of wish away our anxiety. We can't just snap out of it. Which is why he says what he says at the end of verse 5. The verse that comes before our text. Just look back at verse 5. He tells the Philippians, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. That is the best news that Paul could possibly give to a group of anxious Christians. And it is exactly what we need to hear today. Because here's the thing. Even though Christians claim to be people of the truth, it is often the case that we are prone to believe the lies of our anxious thoughts. You know what kinds of lies I'm talking about. Those lies that deceive us into believing things like, you know, I'm facing this situation and I don't think God's going to come through for me. He comes through for other people in their bad situations, but never for me. I better take matters into my own hands because can God really be trusted? Is he really as good or as safe or as wise as I have been led to believe? Let's be honest with ourselves. Those kinds of thoughts are some of the most dangerous and frequent lies in your life. And in mine as well. And Paul knows this. 
He knows it. He knows the lies we are prone to entertain in our hearts and in our minds, which is why he gives us a good dose of the most simple, straightforward, and glorious truth that he can think of. He says, the Lord is at hand. In fact, this is the very reason why we are observing Advent at this time of the year. It's because we need to, re- we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded that the Lord is at hand. We need to return again and and again to the truth that the second person of the Trinity, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, became flesh and he entered into our anxious world. And because of that, he is with us here, right now. After all, think of what he's given us. Think of what we have in him. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Pastor Sean talked about this last week. He pointed us to Galatians chapter 4, where it says that when the fullness of time had come, what did God do? He sent forth his son. His own son was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of the most high God. And because we are his sons and daughters, what else has God done? Well, he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we would never have to live another moment without him. Jesus is with us always. But Christ did not just come to us in the past. And he is not only with us in the present, but he has also promised to us a future return. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to set up his new heavens and his new earth, a new creation. And when he does this, when he comes, when he returns, we will be with him forever. In this anxious age we are now living in, it will be no more. Never again will we have a reason to be worried or afraid. There will be no more hand-wringing. There will be no more nail-biting because we will live face-to-face with our Prince of Peace. That's what Paul's getting at at the end of verse 5. It's just a simple statement, I know. but It makes all the difference for anxious people like us. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, we need not be anxious. Just notice what else Paul says. When he tells us not to be anxious, he does not qualify it. He does not give us some kind of exception to the rule. He doesn't say, don't sweat the small stuff. Or anything like that. No, what Paul says is do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. This is what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells them in Matthew chapter 6, do not be anxious about your life in this world. Do not fret about your bodily existence, but instead you are to seek first the kingdom of God. And remember something. Remember that that Jesus is saying this right after teaching his disciples how to pray. Only a handful of verses earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that we seek the kingdom of God first by praying these words to him in faith. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you know what comes next in this prayer. We lift up our hearts to the king of the kingdom and we ask him, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, we can go to God when we're worried about the cares of life in this world and we can ask him for exactly what we need. It should come as no surprise then that the very next thing that Paul tells the Philippians is to pray. They are to pray. This is the positive part of the prescription that is given to us in this text. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When our anxious thoughts assault us, when they agitate us and allure us away from trusting God, Paul gives to us a very simple solution. He tells us to respond with prayer. Now, if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's that we can't always control the thoughts or the kinds of thoughts that pop into our heads throughout the course of a given day. And we also can't always control the feelings that arise within us in reaction to the things that we're experiencing in our environment. However, in most cases, we can, cons- we can control how we respond to these things. We can control how we respond to our thoughts. We can control how we respond to our emotions. And Paul's prescribed response is prayer. This is because prayer is the single most, it's the single most fundamental act of trust that we have in the Christian life. So when anxious thoughts arise, and when anxious thoughts are haunting us and, and, and hounding at us with all sorts of reasons, To not trust in the Lord. What we have to do is we have to enter into prayer as our way of saying, God, I know what I want to feel right now. I know what I want to think right now. But rather than going with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift my heart to trust in you. Even when my eyes don't see how you're going to provide or where your provision will come from. Otherwise, apart from prayer, our souls end up shriveling up and dying underneath the crushing burden of life in this world. Without bringing ourselves to God in prayer, our anxiety is going to end up ruling us. It ends up mastering us and and dominating us. I'm struck by an observation that was once made by D.A. Carson. He once said this, that I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. Friends, prayer is a gift to us. It's a gift that God gives to us in Jesus Christ so that we don't have to settle for a life of anxiety. So let's remember what God has done. Let's remember this unfathomable gift he has given. He has sent his very spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts so that we might call upon him as our Abba Father. Through the son, every person who is indwelled by God the spirit enjoys an open door policy with God the Father. 
In Christ, your prayers, not one of them, has ever gone unheard. And what this reminds us is that the power of prayer is not in the one who prays. We cannot pray eloquently enough. We cannot pray fervently enough to make our prayers effective. By no means does the power of prayer depend upon you and me. No, the power of prayer is in the one being prayed to. It's in the triune God who invites you to come and make your requests known. Not because he doesn't already know what you need. Remember what Jesus told his disciples. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. The psalmist says in Psalm 139 that even before a word is on my tongue, you, O Lord, know it all together. So when we follow what Paul is saying here. When we make our requests known, it's not because we're telling God anything he's not already aware of. But we make our requests known because God, quite simply, this is Christianity 101, God wants a relationship with us. And our relationship with him is deepened every time we come to him, feeling our need, relying upon him, and seeking intimacy in his presence. Which is why Paul tells us in verse 6 that we should pray to God in everything. We are to pray to God in everything. There is nothing about your life, nothing that happens in your life about which you should not pray but every moment every situation every need that arises is an occasion for prayer and supplication with thanksgiving of course the words that Paul chooses to use here are important for us to understand he uses three words that deserve our immediate attention he mentions prayer And supplication with thanksgiving. When Paul mentions prayer, he is referring to prayer in the most general sense. Prayer, as you well know, is when we go to God by faith in Jesus Christ and we speak to him from our hearts in order to relate to him in a meaningful way. Supplication, though, is a specific type of prayer. I like to think of of supplication. As praying to God when the stakes feel higher. Supplication is is when we go to God and we urgently petition him for some future blessing. It's where you feel your desperate need for God's provision. And you bring that to him. And you seek him. And you look ahead and you trust him with your future to give you exactly what you need. But Paul says we are to do these things. We are to do prayer and supplication with a posture of thanksgiving. So even as we look ahead in supplication, we also look back with gratitude. We look back remembering all the ways that God has provided for our needs in the past. This is one way that we train our hearts to trust him with our future. So we see that in the struggle against worry and fear, prayer gives us two ways of attacking the problem of our anxiety by faith. We can remember the past and we can say to God, God, you have always been faithful to me and I thank you for that. We can also look to the future. We can say, as I remember your past faithfulness, 
I look ahead to your future faithfulness with expectancy and hope. And really, that's where we start to lay hold of what's said to us in verse 7. Verse 6 moves us from the problem of our anxiety to the prescription for it. But in verse 7, we begin to move from the prescription for our anxiety to the only promise that can deliver us from our anxiety. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Pray. Petition God. Give him thanks and make your request known. And what will happen is the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. For anxious people like you and me, the promise of our God is peace. As it turns out, that is exactly what I needed that day in my office when I had my anxiety attack. As far as I understood things, I could only be anxious. I could only be filled with worry. And so I needed something greater than my own understanding. I needed a peace that transcended my mental map of the world in that moment. And maybe you find yourself in need of that exact same thing this morning. Maybe you need peace. Maybe you came into this place hungering for a still and quiet mind. Let me tell you something. It's available to you. Peace is available to you. The peace you long for is not beyond your reach. Instead, God has put it right where you can find it. Here, now, today, in this place, in this moment. But so often, friends, we miss out on that. We miss the immediacy of God's peace. This is all too common. You know, in our culture, people tend to assume that inner peace is found on the other side of something we do. We live as if peace is the result of performing the right set of actions. It's like there's some kind of formula for peace. And very often this can look one of two ways. It can either look like hedonism or it can look like achievement. Some people find to try, they try to find some semblance of peace through hedonistic pursuits. Many people self-medicate. Through things like food, alcohol, shopping, sleeping around, looking at pornography, or traveling abroad. Others, however, seek peace through achievement. They live on a constant treadmill of meeting the next big goal or hitting the next big milestone. If I could just get a better job, if I could just get a a bigger salary, if I could just complete this degree. If I could just lose enough weight, then I'll be better. Then I'll be okay. I'll be able to to settle down and find some sort of stillness. Friends, I think what we're finding out is that when it comes to having inner peace, both hedonism and achievement, these two things are not going to do the trick. 
I mean, just look at where we are. Look, look at where we find ourselves, right? We are the most wealthy, most educated, most professional, most hedonistic, sexually liberated, decadent generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. And yet it's quite possible that we are also the most anxious generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. So we need to return to the simple fact that in this anxious world that we live in, there's only one way to find peace. There's only one way. And it's by crying out to God by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Peace is not something we get by doing the right things. No, peace is a gift that God gives to us through faith in his son. That's why the sermon series is named what it is. It's because one of the central promises of the incarnation of the Son of God is peace. That's what scripture tells us. It's what it's been telling us from the very beginning. The serpent trespassed into the Garden of Eden. And what did he do? He disrupted the peace that existed between God and the world that God had made. But right away. Immediately, when everything was falling apart, God promised to Eve that one of her offspring would be born to restore the peace that the serpent had stolen. A child would come and he would give us peace with God by crushing the head of our enemy. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to do that very thing. Which is why the angelic hosts from heaven appeared to lowly shepherds in a field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And those angels announced to those shepherds good news of great joy. That there was a newborn king in the city of David. And this newborn king would be the one who would finally bring peace on earth. And that peace on earth is... Something that God is calling us to receive into our hearts today. We are called to lay hold of it by faith so that it can make a real tangible difference in our lives. In fact, one of the ways that it makes a difference, one of the effects that it has is found here in our text. Paul says that it guards our hearts and minds. It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's that's what Paul says in verse 7. That God's peace will protect the hearts and minds of his people from the assaults of anxious thinking. Now let's not forget where Paul was when he wrote those words. The letter to the church in Philippi was written from a Roman prison. Paul had been incarcerated. And he was being held as a prisoner, not because he was guilty of some immoral crime. No, Paul has been incarcerated because he is faithful. He's been living as a faithful witness and and, and a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is falsely incarcerated. He is unjustly incarcerated. Think of how that would be if you were in his shoes. You would have every earthly reason to be anxious. You would have every situational reason to be wringing your hands. But Paul shows us a different way. 
He shows us that he has every heavenly reason to be at peace. And I can imagine Paul sitting on the floor of his jail cell. He's got his, his quill and his parchment in hand and he's, he's shivering, trying to keep warm. There are flies buzzing around his face. The air is filled with the groans of prisoners whose bodies are riddled with filth and disease. And as Paul is writing, he gets to this part of the letter. And he's writing and he's, he's thinking and he's praying and the words are starting to flow out of him. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Instead, pray to the Lord and, and bring to him your requests and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It will, it will, let me, let me think here. What's the best word I could use? Let me see. And Paul, as he's contemplating this, he looks up from his parchment. And he gazes around that dungeon where he's being held. And what does he notice but that there are Roman guards stationed all around him. Because those guards are there. Not a single soul can get out of that prison and live to tell the tale. That dungeon is, is as secure as it could possibly be because it is well guarded. And Paul says, you know what? That's it. That's the exact word I'm looking for. The perfect word. God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, what Paul is telling us is that God's peace through Jesus Christ is your security. It is your defense in anxious times. It's like an impenetrable fortress. So even though you may have come into this place suffering under your anxiety, my call to you today, the call of God's word to you this morning is take heart. Be confident today. Remember who Jesus Christ is for you when you find yourself attacked by anxiety. Christ goes before you as your shield of protection. Christ is beside you as a friend. Who sticks closer than a brother. He is at your right hand. So that you might not be shaken. Christ is behind you with his glory. As your rear guard. Christ is beneath you. As that solid unchanging rock. Upon which you stand. And Christ is exalted high above you. Because he is the ascended king who is seated. At the right hand of majesty. If you belong to God today. Then know and believe this. That Christ is all around you. His gifts and his graces and his glories surround you. And they guard you at all times. At every moment of your life. He is standing between you and the sources of your anxiety. So that he can say to you what it says in Psalm 46. Be still. Be still, be at peace, and know that I am your God. Over the past couple of years, there's been a verse from the book of Isaiah that the Lord has brought to my mind in moments 
like the one I experienced in my office that day. When I'm having trouble catching my breath. When my heart is racing, it's beating fast because I'm just, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious about tomorrow. These are the words that slow me down and help me to catch my breath. I've prayed them many times. They're from Isaiah 26. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then Isaiah says this, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For me, and I pray that for you as well this morning, those are words to live by. And live by them we can because of what we've been talking about here today. That Christ came to provide peace in anxious times. Would you pray for me? Pray, you can pray for me, but would you pray with me also? Let's go before the Lord together. Lord Jesus, we confess today that you are the Prince of Peace. While the, the rulers of this world and the kingdoms of this earth were raging, God, you were born into the stillness of the night. In the last place that anyone would ever expect. And yet this, yet this event, your advent, it is God's gift to the world. Lord, your presence is God's gift to the church. The promise of your second coming is the great hope to which we cling by faith today. We ask, Lord, that the reality of these things we've contemplated this morning would penetrate our hearts so that we might not be anxious, so that we might know the Lord is at hand, and so that we might ask you today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, Lord, teach us to pray at all times with unceasing prayers and supplications with thanksgiving. Expressing to you our gratitude for past blessings. And expecting to be able to rejoice over future ones. Lord, in your grace, give us exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or think by your power at work within us. In your name, we pray. Amen.